And welcome to Burn It All Down, the podcast that you all both want and need in your lives. I'm Lindsay Gibbs, the host today. Joining me is the one and only Jessica Luther. Hey, Jess. Hi, Linz. So I think um, our love of the Olympics has scared the rest of our co-host away for this week. (laughs) But that's fine. Um... I think for like the past, like however long Jess and I've known each other, which is a long time at this point, our text threads during the Olympics are uh, a bit, a bit much, a bit excessive. (laughs) So it makes sense that we're here for this today. We're just going to go through today a few uh, kind of hot topics from the first week of the Olympic Games in Beijing. A lot of them revolve around sexism, which will be a surprise to no one. Surprise. (laughs) But first of all, uh, there was this thing called the Super Bowl. Uh, Jess, did you have like a favorite Super Bowl commercial or like moment? So the Super Bowl was good. Like just overall as a production, like the game was good. Halftime was amazing. I am 41 years old. I was the demographic that they were going for with the halftime show. And it completely worked for me. Mary J. Blige's boots deserve a shout out here. I do want to say on the commercial front, I could listen to Jennifer Coolidge ask, can I eat it? Like one million times. Like, I think the Uber Eats commercial is weird and off-putting, except for Jennifer Coolidge saying, can I eat it? That is just chef's kiss. My other, I, of course, the Michelob Ultra with NECA, Alex Morgan, and Serena walking in like a total badass at the end of that commercial. And my other favorite one was the Joneses with Leslie Jones, Rashida Jones, and Tommy Lee Jones driving, uh uh-oh. Some kind of truck. It didn't work. I don't know I what company it, it was. <laughs> I know, but I'm not going to tell you. because. But I sure best. did love those Joneses. That was really good. And it's now the Jonas. Yes, that was cute. It was an oddly, like, kind of feminist, like, Super Bowl. Like, for the Super Bowl. Like, you had Billie Jean King doing the coin flip. Throughout, you had, like, the big post- It's always like a big like sitcom or drama getting all the promos and all the ratings. But this time, because it was the Olympics, it was Alana Myers-Taylor and Kaylee Humphreys in the monobob getting all these promos. So we saw like women's sports get the Super Bowl treatment, which was Alana yelling, monobob! Monobob! Like every... (laughs) It was so good. And that was really cool. And then we had the wonderful moment where... They showed uh, Alex Morgan and her husband and did not identify her husband, even though he's like a famous soccer star, too. Uh, So I'm just going to count that as feminism and um, (laughs) as a win. And so these are the moments that I kind of enjoy. I love the halftime show. Like you said, like I was like, everyone is old and I love it. As a 35 year old, I was also the exact demographic. It actually led to a nostalgic group text with some of my high school friends because we remembered uh, going out in the songs. My experience was my 13-year-old saying, who is Eminem? (laughs) So (laughs) it was the opposite kind of. uh, We felt very old. I was about to say that. That makes me want to like walk directly into the nursing home. Back to the Olympics. Like I said, we're just going to go through some kind of hot topics that have gotten uh, gotten our text thread <laughs> bouncing this week. Uh, 
So first, this now seems like it happened 200 years ago, but it was the beginning of the week. It was Eileen Gu. China's snow princess is the queen of big air. Ailing Eileen Gu is the gold medalist. Now competing for China and refusing to answer, is she still a U.S. citizen? I'm not trying to keep anyone happy. I'm an 18-year-old girl out here living my best life. Eileen Gu, freestyle skier, um, who competes in halfpipe, slope style, and big air. I talked about her a little bit on our preview show, born in San Francisco. Her mother's from China. She's competed for China since 2019. She's only 18 years old. She won gold in big air. And then she has two more events coming up, uh, slope style, which might have happened depending on the weather by the time y'all listen to this, and also uh, halfpipe. Uh, it was really cool to see her like live up to the hype and win gold and like really live up to that moment. But the coverage of her was a little icky. <laughs> I don't know how else yeah, to put it, but just like super weird. It just feels weird to hear them talk about her. Yeah. I mean, like, so on one hand, they're like fawning over her. And by they, I mean, it's usually these like older men talking about her story. And it's like a lot of model minority, I feel like, you know, stare, you know, I mean, it's her life, but they're like leaning into these model minority stereotypes. They're saying her SAT score. They're talking about how she also plays all the piano. She's going to Stanford, but she deferred a year. I know all about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is amazing. Oh, and she's also an actual model. You know, she's very conventionally attractive, has lots of modeling. But there's mainly then... To, like, up the ickiness factor, there's this talk about who she chose to represent. Um, And Claire McCaskill, former Democratic senator from Missouri, literally tweeted, I don't get it and never will. I think it's wrong for an American to compete for China. China is represses free speech, is well known for human rights violation. Did she abandon her U.S. citizenship or not? China does not have dual citizenship. Ugh. That's literally how she ended the tweet. (laughs) Ugh. And then right after that, followed up with a tweet that said, sorry for typo, which I just like, you tweet that and you're sorry for a typo. Anyways, Jess, how are you feeling about the coverage of Eileen Gu? Yeah, well, I mean, I tweeted that I thought it was very weird that I know her actual SAT score, (laughs) to which I got a bunch of people who were like, but it's such a good score. Or you don't understand that, you know, she's the child of a... Chinese woman and that you know she's an immigrant of an Asian American family and I guess but these are like two white dudes talking about her so it just doesn't feel like it's her mother up there talking about her which would maybe be different but I think she's really complicated I think part of what's hard about her is it it's hard to know how to talk about her I feel weird right now trying to figure out how to talk about her because She has faced a ton of criticism for representing China and the fact that she and her mother will not talk about China at all. So when John Branch, he has a great profile. I'm going to I feel like I'm going to talk about John a lot. He's done a lot of good coverage at the New York Times. Her mom refused to talk on the record because he was going to ask about China. And so he put a paragraph in there about it. Um, She refuses, like in the interview, will not answer any questions about politics and China. And I think... I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I don't think she should have to necessarily at the same time. You know, it's rough. (laughs) Like, there's a lot happening in that country and she doesn't want to discuss it. And then at the same time, Claire McCaskill's out here saying that. And I will just say, we just had the Super Bowl in Los Angeles 
a mini mega event that is really like a preview for what's going to happen when the Olympics come to L.A. And part of what happened is that Customs and Border Protection, ICE, Secret Service, the FBI, other federal and state level security agencies that joined LAPD in a spectacular performance of security theater in Los Angeles, as No Olympics LA put it, right? Like, we have issues in this country. It's not genocide, and I don't want to act like it's the same thing. But the idea that you can just boil this down to, like, one country good, one country bad also seems unfair to put on an 18-year-old who, like, her mother is from China. She goes to China all the time, speaks Mandarin. Like, I don't know. I don't know. She's complicated. It's very weird. It's very weird in sports, the way we do nationality <laughs> in sports. Yes, the nationalism you compete of it. for people. It's weird and... It's like the thing that can't be spoken of, but there's money. And I mean, seems like she grew up in a wealthy family, but like representing China is going to open up a lot of money for her, right? Like that is a big money market. Like, yeah, already has. Lots of money, right? Uh, you know, we live in this world and that's part of it. And I don't necessarily ever look down on anyone for making money where they can because it just is what it is. But it also, she does have a lot of privilege and it seems like she's getting the exceptions to a lot of rules that China has for the rest of its citizens in order um, for them to get the glory of her competing. And she's not necessarily grappling with that publicly. And uh, would it be nice for her to, I think? Yes, you know, but I don't have any right answers here either, except like, I just maybe wish people would just cal calm down a little bit. Maybe take a breath. Yes. I don't <laughs> calm down and take a breath. That's yes. I just, uh, and, and I'll be rooting for her in her next, next events for sure, because uh, she's 18 and she's really good and that's fun. I don't know. So another kind of story on this, the, the kind of media coverage of women front is Michaela Schifrin. Here she goes. The important first run of the slalom to set the tone. He oh, no, no. Oh. You have got to be kidding me. It's, it's unimaginable. It's one of the biggest shockers in Olympic alpine skiing history. To failure. See. I mean, it is failure. It's, it's okay to say that. I am okay with that. Um, and I'm sorry for it, but I also was trying, and I'm proud of that. She's been a huge story the first week, not for the reasons like we thought she would. Obviously, she came in here, you know, most successful um, skier really ever already, like with the most, you know, she's only 26, already with the most World Cups, already three Olympic medals, supposed to kind of win everything she competed in this year. And instead, on the slalom and, and giant slalom, two of her best events, uh, she skied out, which means she high up in the race missed a gate and that was it because you only get this one chance and that's it which just is just exceedingly cruel <laughs> I don't know I just like yeah, no margin yes. for error but you know the media was in shock there was a lot of um I think comparisons to Simone Biles or different situations with both being the face of the games and unable to compete to their top ability. Um, Michaela, after skiing out in her second event, went over to the side and just kind of sat there for a long time. And the race continued, but NBC didn't show us the race continuing. <laughs> they just for like 
through multiple commercial periods. Like 30 minutes. I don't know. It, it was, was long. Just showed her sitting there. Jess, what were your thoughts? And also, how do you think Michaela's kind of handled all of this? Yeah, I think that coverage of Michaela with the slalom where she sat on the side and someone eventually came and sat with her. She was clearly very upset. Uh, that was her event. That was her event. She was supposed to get a gold medal in in the slalom. And it was really frustrating, I will say. Like, it felt weird. Like, it felt like we were all creepers watching her in this really sad, difficult moment. NBC clearly had no backup plan. Like, they – this is talk, – talk about the nationalism of coverage. Like, they had put all their eggs in the Michaela basket, and they didn't know what to do after that. And the, I think the thing that really – pissed me off the most is I saw people tweeting all over the place they thought the race had stopped that she was blocking the course because of where she was sitting and it they hadn't stopped the race but NBC was literally not showing it and so not only are you getting this intense focus on this person in one of the worst you know professional moments of their career but then you get all these people who think she's being selfish and taking like sitting on the course because NBC is doing nothing to correct it if I immediately went over when I saw this to Peacock to the just to the solemn event and it's happening. But like NBC just didn't show it. It was really strange. I will say Michaela for her part, phenomenal. Like she did all the media hits after both races, talked at length. She did a long interview with NBC talking about all this stuff. And I think she's just been incredibly honest and I don't think we get a lot of that kind of honesty from athletes. I think it's hard to process even as an individual alone. And so to see her process it in front of the cameras for all of us, she kept apologizing as if she owed us something. That part made me really sad. But she was just very honest about how hard this was. After um, her first race when she skied out, she said to NBC, quote, this makes me second guess like the last 15 years, everything I thought I knew about my own skiing and slalom and my own racing mentality. That is a, whoo, that's a lot to give the public. And I just credit to her for being so open and vulnerable when she definitely didn't owe us that. Yeah, and I think it's tricky, right? Because I'm a member of the media. I want athletes to, to talk to the media, right? I think too often we kind of treat athletes with kick gloves sometimes about, you know, like maybe should they yes. or should they not have to approach the media at the same time? Sometimes athletes are going through legit mental health stuff and I don't want to punish them for not speaking to the media. You know what I mean? Like it's a fine line. And I do fear that Michaela Schifrin's vulnerability is now going to be used against future athletes, right? Who don't speak to the media or aren't as generous with media. Well, Michaela Schifrin did it mm. and I don't want that. But it, it seemed like what helped her process was processing this out loud. Seems like she has a great support system around her. And it was her interview after the Super G, which I think will stick with me for a long time, when she came in ninth, but felt really proud of herself for competing and like getting through the race. And you could tell she felt like, oh, I, I was afraid I'd lost all my instincts. You know, I'd completely forgotten basically how to ski. It wasn't my best race, but this felt closer to myself. Like my entire life's work isn't gone in an instant. But she was talking through and she said something which was, you know, it is failure. It's okay to say that when talking about her first two ski outs. And I think because we just treat failure as something of shame, we often have these like 
girl boss memes of like way to like you know it's it's only it's only failure if you don't get back up again do you know what i mean or like you know mm-hmm. ways of like sugarcoating disappointing results and i just loved that she's it, it like empowered me that she was just like yeah i did bad that was failure that sucked i'm still here i'm still going and let's call it what it is And her Instagram post and Twitter post, it said the girl who failed could also fly. Like, that's the top of it. And that's just, Mm. that's so cool. That's so cool. It's true. And um, (laughs) also, just back to NBC real quick, give the audience a little bit more credit. Like, tell us other stories. Tell us other things. Like, we can handle it. And no one person is bigger than an event itself, right? Like, we tune into the Olympics not just for these stars. I do understand pushing stars. I get that. But, like, to see somebody win, right? So give us a chance to see see other people win and see other people achieve the best um, day of their lives. Jess, can you uh, talk about this next topic on our roundtable, um, <laughs> which uh, is with this incredible quad, Sal? Because she moves in and out of this element. So much speed. Arms over the head. Find me a free skate that tops that one. I dare you. And no need to look elsewhere. There is your favorite for the Olympic gold medal. Breaking news overnight. The 15-year-old Russian figure skating phenom. Camilla Valieva tested positive for a banned heart medication. Positive for a banned substance before the games. This is a journey, everybody. Um, Camilla Valieva. Russian figure skater. She burst onto the scene just four months ago when she competed in her first senior level international competition and then immediately started setting world records for points with her quadruple jumps. In the team competition, she skates for Russia ROC. She landed two quads during her free skate, the first time anyone in the women's competition has landed a quad at the Olympics, and she did two. Uh, So the Russian team ended up ROC won the gold medal in the team event on February 7th. I'm giving you that date like for a reason. The next day, February 8th, the medal ceremony was supposed to take place for the figure skating team event, but it was mysteriously postponed. A legal issue was happening. News broke that Valieva had failed a doping test. Uh, It turned out that on December 25th, so last year, the Russian anti-doping agency, Rusada, took a sample from Alieva to test for doping at the 2022 Russian Figure Skating Championships in St. Petersburg, but the result for the, that sample didn't come until February 8th when a WADA lab in Sweden found trimetazidine in her sample. It's supposed to help with chest pain due to reduced blood flow to the heart. According to the New York Times, anti-doping experts disagree on whether or not it can actually enhance her performance, which is why it's prohibited, because there are people who think it can. Uh, It can provide an unfair advantage in increasing oxygen-carrying capacity, so it it could increase your stamina, which would matter when you're doing a long-ass free skate with a bunch of quads in it, and you need to be able to sustain that, right? Um... It's really unclear why there was a six-week delay. They're saying the Russians are saying COVID in the lab, that like people were sick and they just couldn't get it done in time. And so Valieva was provisionally suspended by Rosada on February 8th and then immediately challenged the provisional suspension the next day, and Rosada lifted it. The International Skating Union appealed to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, CAS, to put the suspension back in place. 
cast, though, last night. So we're recording Monday morning. Uh, so in the middle of the night here in the U.S., we found out that they have upheld Rusada's provisional suspension. And she's going to skate in the women's event starting tonight. Uh, here is how Washington Post explained Cass's ruling. Valieva is considered a protected person under the World Anti-Doping Agency's code because she is under 16 years old. She is a 15-year-old girl. And the World Anti-Doping Code treats such competitors with different standards of evidence and offers no specific guidance for provisional suspensions for them. She would suffer irreparable harm if suspended and then later found innocent. Cass found serious issues of untimely notification, meaning that Valieva did not have time for a full legal process before the games. Oh, my gosh. So the IOC is pissed. And the way we know this is that they said if she medals, which she should, she's a phenomenal skater. They're not going to do a ceremony. They just won't have a medal ceremony because they this will play out over months, whether or not how this doping sample actually affects her. It's wild. Um, I don't really know what to do with all of that. The last thing I'll say, her coach, Terry Tuparetza, she is a problem. <laughs> she has long been known for being incredibly hard on her skaters. She often shows up to the Olympics with 15 to 17 year olds. They skate the hell out of their programs. They medal and then they disappear because they cannot maintain the level once they are like hit the age of 18. So I was reading a piece at Yahoo about her. And this is I just want to read this. Two of the three women on Tuparatse's quad squad. So this group of 15 to 17 year olds who she's taught to do quads. They are nursing unspecified injuries that might be due to overtraining. Two others were left behind in Russia because they recently broke bones, preventing them from qualifying for the games. Another skater, 15-year-old Daria Usacheva, in November suffered a hip injury so severe while warming up, warming up, that she returned to Moscow in a wheelchair and withdrew from further competition. I think this matters. We're talking about a 15-year-old girl. Her defense is that her grandpa apparently used this drug and somehow transferred it to her. Uh, okay. We know that that sometimes happens. There's the kissing thing with doping where they say that their partner used something and they kissed them and somehow they got it in their system. They're saying that she shared a glass of water with her grip. It's like something, same glass, and somehow she got this drug in her system. I don't know. It's such a mess. And I expect her to go out there and win a gold medal like I assume she'll be on the podium and it will just continue and I just feel terrible for everyone involved except for Tuparatse it's really sad to me that figure skating still embraces her the way they do yeah she like just recently won a coach of the year award um, yeah which is just staggering and you know part of this just reminds me of years ago when you know the Chinese gymnasts were coming into the games at like 12 and 13 right and like underage and they were falsifying their their thing and they were winning all these things because they were doing things that bodies could only do when they were kind of like that young pre-pubescent pre-pubescent. yeah and it's like <laughs> this is what they're trying to do and I think it's look it's a tough thing in women's sports um so it's been really depressing for me personally to find out more about what's going on behind the scenes in russian figure skating look i want to see women's figure skating pushed i want to see like the quads done and and everything in women's figure skating but if this is the only way to get the quads is with 
you know, illegal medications and pushing the body to the point where it's so malnourished and so overworked that it's breaking down at the ages of 16 and 17, then fuck that. Yeah. And I'll just say, like, I it's hard for me to watch the NBC coverage of her skating because I don't know. They don't they don't do the kind of critical uh, assessment of Tuparatse that I would like to hear. And I think that sucks. Yeah. And I hope that this forces their hand. I'm going to be very, me too, very curious to see how NBC, who I like, I love Tara and Johnny actually. Like, I love their commentary. Um, they, I learned so much by listening to them. They seem so well educated, but they have not been criticizing. There's been so much gushing over bringing the quads to the women's programs. And I really hope that this is. The end of that until we can see it done in a healthy way, which I hope like we've seen Simone Biles in a stronger body, right? Like uh, as she gets older, like push gymnastics much further ahead than it was with the 12 year old Chinese gymnast. And I hope that that's how figure skating will develop. But it's got to be like that, right? Like there there have to be healthy ways. This this fucking bullshit cannot continue. And I don't understand how she's able to compete. I don't want her to be punished. Yeah. But also, I don't get it. Yeah, me either. And I'll just say, Tara Lipinski was a teenage gold medalist and apparently had hip surgery, like still as a teenager, to deal with all the damage to her body. Like, these are people who can really speak to this in figure skating. And I hope that they choose to do that. Moving on, we could talk about that for the entire episode, but a couple more little hot topics we want to get to. Uh, Jess, what's been going on in ski jumping? Five jumpers have been disqualified from the Olympic debut of the mixed team competition. One athlete says the organization, quote, destroyed women's ski jumping. Ugh, sexism? I just, this sport always <laughs> finds a way to be sexist. It's kind of wild. Uh, the Olympic debut for the mixed team competition, talked about it on our preview, five female competitors were disqualified from the event by officials who said their jumpsuits didn't comply with the rules. These were jumpers from Japan, Austria, Germany, Norway, like, very good jumpers. According to NPR, the disqualified athletes' jumpsuits were reportedly too large, potentially giving them an unfair advantage as they soared through the air. Which, sure, at the same time, some of these women had already competed in these exact suits in the Olympics. It's like, of course this is happening. I just, ski jumping, what a mess. And it was wild, like I was reading about it, and apparently there's always been controversies with their um, outfits because... The ski jumpers used to have to have an extra panel sewn into the hips. To be more shapely, right? (laughs) Yeah, like they said it was so they fit the women better. But Sarah Hendrickson, who's a pioneer in the sport, says they were trying to come up with a way that accentuate our hips and curves a little bit more. And it was this really annoying thing to have to sew in this extra panel. And I mean, look, this was supposed to be this mixed event was supposed to be the second event because men get to compete on lar- on multiple more events in ski jumping than women do right now. So this was supposed to be an inclusive moment for the sport because ski jumping just got allowed into the Olympics in 2014 for the women, even though it's been around since the 1920s for the men. And still, they've only had one event compared to the men who get more. So it just really, it was a really dark day for the sport is what the women said. And just like, what the fuck? Um, Another what the fuck thing that's been happening is. But it is a nice one for Canada. They score again straight away. Canada, that shot in front. The rebound, they score. It's 10-3 for the Canadians. Once again, it looks like it will be Canada and their rival, the Americans, battling for gold. 
the rest of the women's hockey world miles behind. One prominent Canadian columnist is tired of the predictable narrative. They're barreling towards USA Canada gold medal. And to celebrate that, we've got Rosie DeMano over at the Toronto Star writing a fun article, Why Women's Hockey Doesn't Belong in the Olympics. Look, I love supporting journalism, but I was not going to subscribe to the star for her troll article. So I can only read you the lead. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to do that. Uh, I will subscribe to the star at another time. And she says only two countries, the Beijing games can play women's hockey at an elite level. That's not good enough. Canadian women have outscored its opposition 23 to two and outshot them 118 to 44. That's not sports. That's abomination domination. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> Jess, does, does women's hockey belong in the Olympics? This is such <laughs> a ridiculous conversation. It always is. Whenever there's domination within women's sports, we have like endless conversations about whether or not to get rid of women's <laughs> sports where we don't do this on the men's side. Like if this is really about that, then we would get rid of cross-country skiing because Norway wins all of them. Like Germany is dominating luge. Like at what point are we... Or how are we making these decisions? I will just say Courtney Zito, friend of the show, flamethrower. She wrote a piece at Hockey and Society about this, and it's really good. Go read the whole thing. She makes four good points. The fourth one is the one I want to highlight. She says, if hockey doesn't belong in the Olympics, women's hockey, where does it belong? There's literally nowhere else right now where women's hockey gets this this kind of stage. The fact that there is any development and growth in women's hockey around the world is because of the Olympics, not in spite of it. So if you are coming out against women's hockey in the Olympics, you are coming out against women's hockey. End of story. That That's it. And here's the thing. People love watching USA Canada in the Olympics. Yes, they do. The CBC in Canada, there was a peak audience of 1.3 million watching the first Canada-USA game, which didn't even start till close to midnight on the East Coast. And that wasn't a medal round game. <laughs> like, that wasn't even for a right. medal. Or elimination. It was just a round-robin prelim. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> for the gold medal game in 2018, which USA won, hey, Shireen, it was at about 4 a.m. on the East Coast, because I remember I was up watching it, and over 2 million viewers watched it on, live on NBC um, at 4 a.m. So people love watching this. It is good for the sport. If you want to argue something, argue for more investment for women's hockey globally, and that's how you grow it. All right, finally, we just want to do a quick uh, geopolitical check-in, you know, there's still a genocide of Uyghur Muslims going on in China throughout these games. We did not expect many athletes to speak up um, because uh, they could get jailed. So, uh, Jess, have we had any updates here and people speaking up for the Uyghurs? Yeah, like we had one. We had Turkish ski jumper Fata Arda Ipchiola uh, put an East Turkestan flag on his skis and everyone... Lots of people believe that this was in support of the Uyghur people, but he will not actually say that, which makes sense. As Lindsay just said, you can get, actually get in trouble in China for that. Uh, perhaps we'll hear more from him once he goes home and is able to talk more about this. But everyone's interpreting that as a, as support for the Uyghurs. You know, we want to also mention that during the opening ceremonies, it's always a big honor to be kind of the final people lighting the actual Olympic torch and the torch relay and... One of the people um, in this this year was Dinagir Yulamayanjung, who is a 20-year-old cross-country skier and is a member of uh, the Uyghur minority. And 
NBC, I thought, did a good job handling this because they specified that the things they were reading were directly from Chinese state media, um, talking about, you know, quotes from her about how happy she was to be there and quotes from the state of China about how this was a unifying moment. But a lot of people, I think, correctly read it as a big kind of middle finger to countries like the United States who had a diplomatic boycott of it because of the treatment of the Uyghur minorities. And she has competed in her races, but has not been available to media and been made available to, to media. And the IOC has, you know, you're supposed to do the mix zone. You're supposed to talk to reporters after your events. There've been reporters waiting in the cold to talk with her after her events. And IOC has not said anything about it. So not great. Can I mention one other athlete who actually did, uh, I guess, political stance. Please. Uh, a Ukrainian skeleton athlete, Vladislav Haraskovich, he flashed a small sign that read no war in Ukraine to the cameras when he finished a run. And he said, quote, it's my position. Like any normal people, I don't want war. I want peace in my country and I want peace in the world. It's my position. So I fight for that. I fight for peace. The IOC had to come out and say whether or not he had violated their no politics rule. And they said that, in fact, advocating for peace does not violate that rule. So good on that Ukrainian skeleton athlete. <sighs> I agree with that. <laughs> no war. <laughs> um, all right, Jess, let's do a quick lightning round. Some of our favorite moments, a lightning round of joy. What are a few of the, the moments at this Olympics that have just uh, made you text me exclamation points? <laughs> <laughs> this is so hard, but I will say Nathan Chen winning the gold medal, like his free skate was great, but really his short program is one of the most beautiful things. I could just watch it all day long. Nathan, adorable. Chloe Kim, she went down in the half pipe, her first run, spectacular. It was non-dramatic the half pipe competition because she just killed it immediately. But I do want to mention the men's half pipe, which was maybe one of the most exciting things that I watched. Kaishu Hirano, he set the world record for height in the half pipe. He went 24 feet above the half pipe, which means that he was 44 feet, some roughly in the air, four stories in the air on his snowboard. Incredible. And then his brother, Ayuma Hirano, won the men's half pipe doing a triple cork, which apparently is super, super hard. Uh, that was amazing. And I just, of course, Alana Myers-Taylor won the silver last night in Monobob. She was bested by Kaylee Humphreys, her teammates. Uh, it was just thrilling. Alana had to come from behind to get up to the silver uh, position. And she posted a video this morning of Nico rolling around on the floor with the silver medal. And that is just everything. Their smile. Oh, that was so cool. Uh, for me, Lindsay Jacob Ellis finally getting her gold medal in snowboard cross. And Yay. then again in mixed snowboard cross, which is like my favorite event now. Like that was just so much fun. Like let's have mixed events where we get to see the men cheering on the women as their medals hang in the line, like always and forever. Like that was just really yes. great. And uh, Aaron Jackson winning 500 meter gold. Um She's the first uh, U.S. woman to win a ski speed skating gold uh, since Bonnie Blair in 94 and the first black woman, period, to win an individual medal in speed skating at the Olympics. So huge deal. And, of course, that was a great story where her teammate gave up her spot so that she could qualify to even be there for that race. And seeing her teammate Brittany Bowie on the side cheering her on just uh, – 
a little emotional it's as so well. Good. It's, it's so, so good. good. <laughs> <laughs> Loved ice dancing. Always love ice dancing. That was also fun to watch tonight. And I just want to give a shout out uh, to old people. Um, so... I'm 35 and people older than me never win anything. And so I'm really reveling in this. So in the past like 24 hours, we've had the oldest Team USA women to ever win a medal. Alana Myers at 37 years old. And then Lindsay Jacob Ellis and Kaylee Humphreys, both at 36. So you're telling me there's a chance. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com slash blue wire to start hiring today. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This week, I speak for our interview with Julie Kliegman, the chief copy editor at Sports Illustrated, about um, trans swimmer Leah Thomas and the NCAA's new policies limiting the ability of transgender athletes to compete. Sports are seen as like lowbrow or frivolous or unimportant but you know that couldn't be further from the truth because as Chris Mosier the you know a trans athlete and activist himself told me these bands are about erasing trans people from everyday life and so they need to be taken really seriously. All right Jess you ready to burn? Let's do it. All right I'll start this is a familiar burn but there's new there's new additions to it so This week, Molly Hensley Clancy, the great Washington Post reporter, um, unveiled a 25-year history of abuse by former NWSL coach Rory Dames. Um, Of course, Hensley Clancy's reporting of Rory Dames' abuse in the National Women's Soccer League while he was head coach of the Chicago Red Stars. Um, Her investigation into that um caused dames to part ways with the team last year and her latest report says it goes back like i said to the 25 years she spoke with 14 former youth players who alleged dames sexually harassed verbally and emotionally abused them when they were only teenagers one anonymous source said dames began grooming her when she was only 14 and then coerced her into a sexual relationship when she turned 18. He used his power within the system in order to be able to keep abusing people. Um, After the investigation was published, top U.S. women's national team stars did sign a letter speaking out against this 
calling for accountability within U.S. soccer. And of course, the owner of the Red Stars came out and admitted and shocked no one that he did zero background checks when he hired Rory Dames, but claims that he's still should be the owner of the Red Stars. Just would like to throw Rory Dames and the systemic abuse in soccer, particularly in the youth system, right into the burn pile. Burn. Burn. Jess, you've got also a familiar face here. <laughs> yeah. On February 9th, Marissa and Jemmy, an NHL beat reporter covering the Seattle Kraken, tweeted, quote, on January 28th, I was fired by the Seattle Times without warning. I'm shocked and disappointed and wish I had more answers. I have much more to say and hopefully we'll be back writing soon. In a follow-up tweet, she wrote, I used everything I had to move out here, so Seattle has become my home. She told the defector, quote, I just want people to know that I was not warned about this and I didn't do anything wrong. If there was legitimately a problem, I wish they would have told me that. I would have taken it very seriously and my track record shows that to this very moment, I do not know what I did to cause being fired. I loved my job, and every single day, I was the happiest person in the world getting to cover the Kraken, and every day, I miss it deeply. We all learned of her firing on February 9th because her former boss at the Seattle Times, Paul Barrett, tweeted a job posting for what everyone knew to be her job. <laughs> the guild that represents many Times staffers, the Pacific Northwest Newspaper Guild, tweeted about this, noting that Marissa had two weeks until the end of her six-month probationary period. She was apparently on a probationary period because she was a new reporter. So the Times didn't actually have to give a reason for firing her. Uh, both Marissa and the Guild have said they don't know what the reason actually is, which seems wild to me. 70 Seattle Times members signed a petition demanding her reinstatement. That did not include in Jimmy's beat partner, Jeff Baker who put out a long, mealy-mouthed statement on February 12th, basically saying he wouldn't sign the petition because he didn't know why she was fired. Which, I guess, dude, sure. This is all worth burning on its own, but that was actually only part of it. After the news broke about Jimmy, fucking asshole Dave Portnoy, like, lives in the burn pile, the barstool dude that Lindsay burned last week for once again being reported as a sex pest, has apparently held a grudge against Marissa for something she wrote about Barstool that was negative, which, like, haven't we all? Uh, he tweeted about her firing, clearly happy about it. There were, like, little champagne emojis as part of his tweet. Then the site's fucking CEO, Erica Nardini, retweeted Portnoy and wrote, quote, In my honest opinion, I am H-O, Marissa is one of the forces holding back women's hockey and hockey in general. No one but the old guard is good enough, rarely open to new people, new ideas, new fans, or anything short of absolute ideological perfection. In a nutshell, not inclusive. The irony. What? Like, what the fuck? I just, this is one of those, like, you should be inclusive of the bigots, too. I just, this isn't a surprise. The notoriously progressive and new guard hockey. <laughs> yeah, I mean... At Seattle Times, Marissa was one of three women on the sports staff. Just like there's nothing progressive here. Uh, and certainly not wanting to include Barstool in anything does not make one regressive. It's not a surprise. It still sucks. Not only does this show again and again and again how aligned Portnoy is with Barstool just like in general. But Nardini is one of these, like, you have to be nice to all the women or else you're not a feminist kind of woman. She loves that kind of shit. But then she took this moment, of course, to just shit all over Marissa. But we also know that Barstool is no friend to labor. So in that way, this totally tracks. Uh, Barstool just has a very specific ethos, and it's a shitty one. And they just keep showing it to us. And I, 
just was garbage that they used this moment around Marissa being fired in this terrible way to go after her. I just want to make a small note. Amira pointed out to me last week that Nardini will be appearing on a featured panel at South by Southwest here in Austin titled Meet the Women Dominating Sports Media with Stephanie McMahon from the WWE. And I just want to say on the record, fuck that. I want to burn all of this. Burn. Burn. All right. We've got torchbearers this week. And caveat, we're in the Olympics. There's a, there's a lot going on. Make sure you've got a long, you know, if you got if you light a match with this, right, make sure it's a long one or you've got extras. <laughs> <laughs> or else uh, or else uh, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, Jess, can you, get us, can you get us started out with some non-Olympics uh, sports category news? So the Los Angeles Rams for winning the Super Bowl 23-20 over the Cincinnati Bengals in a very exciting game came down to the last march down the field. Uh, Matthew Stafford getting it in the end zone. Tennis player Anna Kontavet, who won the St. Petersburg title by coming back to defeat Maria Sakari in a nearly three-hour match. This was Anna's fourth straight indoor title. And finally, Natasha Cloud, who notched the first Athletes Unlimited triple-double with 17 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists. It was also the first triple-double of the Washington Mystic Guard's career, and she did this while serving as captain of her team. Congratulations, Natasha. All right, we've got some uh, just good people, good Samaritans, good allies of the week. want to first congratulate New England Patriots special teams captain Matthew Slater, who was the 2021 Art Rooney Sportsmanship Award a winner for the NFL. Also want to just give a shout out to the more than 300 current and former NCAA Team USA and international swimmers and divers who signed an open letter to the NCAA in support of Leah Thomas, the transgender swimmer's right to compete on the Penn women's team. And then once again, the U.S. women's national team stars led by Kristen Press, who wrote an open letter in support of the women who came forward with allegations of abuse against Rory Dames and in the letter really called out and held U.S. soccer's feet to the fire for their failure to act and protect. Jess, we got some exciting black gymnast news and maybe an excuse for a plug here. <laughs> yes, this is great news. Fisk University is launching the first women's gymnastics program at an HBCU this fall. This is wonderful. I uh, obviously have been working with Amira on the American Prodigies season three, which drops next week. There's a trailer out now, so <gasps> go find it. Uh, the first episode drops next week, and I can promise you that we will be covering this at some point uh, during the season. Yay! All right, we're going to go towards the Olympics right now. All the athletes we mentioned in, in our, our last conversation, all torchbearers, Chloe Kim, Nathan Chen, Eileen Gu, Michaela, Alana, Kaylee, uh, Lindsay J- Jacob Ellis, Aaron Jackson, literally all the Olympians. Like, you're our torchbearers. We're in awe. Um, I do want to highlight kind of a few athletes who've been a little bit under the radar here in the United States. So want to give them a shout out. First of all, Norway's Marta Osbu Roisland, who won the 10 kilometer pursuit biathlon on Sunday. This was her third gold medal and fourth overall in the Beijing game. She's the only woman to ever win four biathlon medals at a single Olympics. That sounds exhausting <laughs> and incredible. 
Uh, Dutch speed skater Irene Shelton, who won the women's 5,000 meter pursuit skating event on Thursday, setting an Olympic record in the process. She's the sixth woman to win gold in both the 3,000 meters and 5,000 meters in speed skating at an Olympics. Also, another Dutch speed skater, the legendary Irene Boost, who won gold in the women's 1,500, becoming the first athlete to win individual gold in five Olympics. And this was her 12th Olympic medal overall and her sixth gold. <laughs> wow. wow. All right, drum roll. Jess, we got to be big. Right. It's just the two of us. All right, who was our torchbearer of the week? Natalie Geisenberger, a 34-year-old woman from Germany, cemented her legacy this week winning women's luge singles and the mixed gender team relay. She's the first female luge athlete to win three straight gold medals and in an individual event in the Winter Olympics. And with six gold medals and one bronze, she's the most decorated Olympic luge athlete of all time and officially the greatest female luger of all time. This Olympics has been extra special, as she mentioned, after winning women's luge singles. Quote, I'm a five-time Olympic champion, but it is the first time as a mother. It's just great, said Geisenberger, who took a year off to have her son, Leo. Training was done around my child. I think we did a really pretty good job as a family. To have another gold is just amazing and a very special moment. Jess, what's good? Well, I already mentioned American Prodigies, but please, everyone, go Yay! check out the trailer uh, and then subscribe so you get the first episode next week. I It was rom-com weekend, so I watched J-Lo's new rom-com, Marry Me, and then there's a new Jenny Slate rom-com on Amazon Prime called I Want You Back. I liked both of them very, very much, but I will basically... I like almost all the rom-coms. And then I just want to mention we're recording on Valentine's Day. Uh, Aaron and I are not big gift givers, but I'm just like super proud of the gift that I gave him, (laughs) which there's a local baker here in town and she made these cookie kits around TV shows. And so I got him the Ted Lasso one, which was uh, Roy Kent. And then there were two cookies and one says, I can't, I can't get enough of you. And the other one says, Oi, I fucking love you. And that cookie is amazing. So that made that's what made me very happy. It's my own gift Yay! to Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. That's incredible. I gotta admit, this is a week where it was really hard, but I will say Friday night I went out with a couple of my cousins and um it was back down to like 30 degrees in North Carolina today, but it was randomly 60 degrees that day. And we sat outside at a bar with like heated patio and drank beer and there was live music. And it really felt like the first normal day in like quite some time. And it's starting to get light a little later and I'm just very ready for winter to be over. And that was a good reminder of why. And so, yeah, so that was good. And, I don't know. I've got a lot of women's basketball trips I'm trying to manifest over the next couple of months. So fingers crossed. All right. This week we're watching obviously the Olympics, obviously athletes unlimited, not football, lots of great women's college basketball. So check your local listings for that as well. That's it for this episode of Burn It All Down. This episode was produced by Tressa Versteg. Shelby Weldon is our web and social media wizard. Burn It All Down is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Follow Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen, subscribe, and rate the show on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and tune in. For show links and transcripts, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You'll also find a link 
to our merch at our bonfire store. Still can't get over how cool it is that the store is called Bonfire. Um, and thanks to our patrons. Um, your support literally makes us possible. If you want to become a sustaining donor to our show for as little as $2 a month, we are not tough to buy stock in. Um, <laughs> visit patreon.com slash burn it all down. And unlike the crypto ads you saw at the Super Bowl, we're not going to scam you. Um, so patreon.com slash burn it all down. Burn on, not out.